word unprecedented. I mean, I think that was so overplayed, uh, you know, at the start of the pandemic. And, and for me, that was really irritating because it wasn't unprecedented when we talk about markets. It wasn't unprecedented for investors in general, whether you're in South Africa, global, anywhere. Uh, the unexpected is part of life. Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money because whether or not we like it, money matters. I'm your host, Maya Fisher-French, and this week I'm very excited to have on Warren Ingram. He is an award-winning financial planner, and you may have heard him on Bruce Whitfield's business show. He's also written two excellent books on personal finance and has just launched his third book, Global Investing Made Easy. Um, And so welcome, Warren. Thanks so much, Maya. It's wonderful to be on the show. And you know what, Warren, you and I were just chatting, we crossed paths, we've worked it out, 1999, last century, uh, when I was working at BGM and I was leaving and you were arriving. So that's been a long time. I mean, you start to realize um, how much time has passed. <laughs> I went up to have my son, who's now 21. So yeah, those, I mean, obviously those, those years at BGM were part of the foundation of, of where you are now. Yeah, and actually amazing that we're talking about a global investing book. And, and I mean, that was the core of what you and, and, and we were doing at the time, right, was finding new ways to invest for, for investors. And, and a lot of the time, in global investments was co- quite new for all of us. And, and, and 21 years later, here we are. You're right, actually, because I joined BJM to start the, the offshore investing because it was July, whatever it was, July 1990. Six, I think it was, or the, uh, that that the exchange controls fell, and we were allowed to take the sum total, I think, of two hundred thousand rand offshore. And you know, people wanted to know how to invest offshore. And I look now at how much easier it is, and uh, and I think that's what we're going to be chatting about about today. But I, I was really, really thrilled that you that when I saw your book that you, when it came out because this is something that um, so many, and this is, by the way, oh, I know with this virtual background, it makes it a little bit odd, but this is what I'm trying to find it where, there we go, it comes out. There we go. This is, this is a global investing made easy. It's, it's a topic that so many of my followers and readers are, are becoming more and more interested in. But I wanted to start off, I loved your introduction, Warren, and I just want to read this to, uh, you know, to the listeners. In your pre- preface, you write, the first major challenge was to about, this is about the pandemic, obviously, this is about the, the COVID pandemic. The first major challenge was to realize that no one had a realistic idea of how the pandemic would affect us in the short term, nor did anyone know what would happen in the long term. As soon as I realized this, I was back on familiar ground because I understood that we were in the middle of an unprecedented, or I'm sorry, unpredicted event that would cause human beings to react in a predictable fashion and amen to that when you've been in the markets as long as you have and I have um but maybe just expand on that um you know what is the predictable fashion that we all do in a crisis so so I think we we all arrive you know and 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 we're we're normally you know just investing and carrying on with our lives and then something hits us you know usually four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon and and you know it, it completely rattles our foundations uh, as investors, as people, you know, as economies, as businesses, all of those things, uh, and and then we we immediately panic, uh, w- which is I guess understandable, 
Um, and and we 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 kind of start to read. I think I can't remember what year it was, but but the word unprecedented. I mean, I think that was so overplayed. Uh, you know, at the start of the pandemic, and and for me that was really irritating because it wasn't unprecedented when we talk about markets. It wasn't unprecedented for investors in general, whether you're in South Africa, global, anywhere. Uh, the unexpected is part of life, and and so. Uh, we then, the, the moment we realize that and we say, okay, so, so here's an event, it's hit us. Um, why, why we got hit and what hit us is, is almost irrelevant to understanding how we're going to act. And, and then we start to act as we do as human beings. And, and so now we go from the realm of markets, technology, viruses, et cetera, to straight human psychology, uh, but, but, but more to the point of big herd behavior. So, so understanding that, that markets uh, often, I mean, they're often not the most rational, intelligent things. If you had to classify it, to me, it, it, it always reminds me of kind of a, a very large herd of very unintelligent cows. You know, they, they kind of just, just react. Uh, and, and at some point when individual, you know, people and investors stop and actually start to think, then you can say logic kicks in. But in the beginning, we panic. We all run in a direction as, as, a, as a collective, and I'm saying not, uh, you know, not humans now, but actually the whole of us as, as markets, and we run, and where we run is right off the cliff. We sell everything. You know, we, we sell in panic. Uh, we immediately, you know, the, the, the kind of phrase risk off becomes something. You know, we, we just say worldwide, you know, let's, let's not uh, look at value or valuations or anything. Let's just go to a place of safety, and that usually means sell shares, you know, sell, if you're, if you're an American, you sell basically everything that's not American and, you know, you bring all your money back to America, you put all your money in cash. And, and in the South African context, sell shares, go to cash and just sit and wait uh, and, and wait for things to get better. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, you know, nearly whatever it is, 550 days later, things are, you can argue are not better, but, but look at what markets have done. So, so what happens is we react, we panic, we, we, we stop panicking usually because, because we can't sell anything else. So, so that's, you know, as a, as a collective. And then the rational people start to, to react a bit more quickly. They start to look around and they say, well, hang on, you know, th there is this company, this share, this property, whatever it is, that's actually offering extraordinary value. And why would I want to sell this? In fact, let me buy it from the, from the rest of the people that are panicking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where we start to see the, the, this behavior of, you know, irrational fear, then uh, kind of a period of consolidation. Then the early buyers start to buy. The, the, the markets start to pick up momentum. And then those that have been waiting for things to get better start to say, well, hang on, I've, um, you know, the world's not better. You know, the economy's not better, but I'm missing out. So I'm going to jump back in again because I'm missing out. And of course, they're missing out usually just before things turn over again. And, you know, I mean, that is the, the cycle of, of fear and greed. And we saw it. I mean, I, you know, I sat, we sat in the market, I was sitting in the markets at the end of the 90s, you know, that we had the 1998 uh, emerging market crisis. We saw exactly the same behavior. Then we saw the dot-com bubble. You know, we, we lived through these cycles over and over again, and we see that the pattern repeated. And what was interesting to me with, with specifically actually with, with the COVID crash in, in March was how quick it was. It felt quickly, but it bounced back quite quickly as well. So you literally missed, if you missed those bounce back trading days, you know, that massive return that people actually got uh, from the market that year, you would, you, you actually just couldn't have caught it up again because it just bounced so quickly. And I think that's it. You cannot 
you know, I always, I always used to say, Warren, when we had clients who, um, who would get it right, who'd make a call right of exiting the market before a crash, it was the worst thing that could ever happen because they'd spend the rest of their lives market timing and losing money. I remember um, a, a few years ago, I was sitting in, in, the, in the middle of America in a tiny little place called Omaha, listening to the sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, and a youngster kind of stood up in the back and put up his hand at question time and said, you know, my, my financial advisor had, uh, had, had sold all my investments just before the financial crash in, you know, the 2007, 2008 uh, financial crisis. He bought in again, um, you know, in the beginning of 2009. Uh, and, and, you know, this was then a good few years after that. And my advisor is now telling me uh, I need to sell again. What should I do? And Warren Buffett said, what you should do is fire your advisor because he's been, uh, he's been coin tossing with your money. And it's happened to have landed on heads twice when he's called heads. Uh, and you don't know that he's going to flip the coin and call the, call the direction of that coin again correctly. And it's time to get out, mm. uh, get out of your advisor, not get out of the markets. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, market timing, you know, it's such a nice, intuitive, simple thing to understand around a dinner table, around the braai. But, uh, but in the real world, you know, we, we've seen so many studies showing that it's just not a possibility. And I think even if you get it right, exiting the market, getting back in, the timing of getting back in is, you know, like we said, it, it, it usually is still ra- it is rallying when the fear is still quite high. Uh, so it's very unlikely people have you know, get get that right. But I want to also um, move on to your book where you speak about, um, and I think it's quite early in, on your book, you, you talk about, you start with the question of what is your dream? Um, why is it important to have a vision before you make investment decisions? And, and I mean, I agree with you on this, but maybe just unpack, like, what does that vision mean? And, and why is that relevant in, in, when it comes to making these decisions? So, so the thing about money is uh, it's it's very closely related to our behaviors just ar- around anything. Yeah? And and so, you know, money becomes either an expression of our behavior or we use it to, uh, you know, as a crutch or something. Uh, and so when we're sitting with a, with a situation where we can say, well, I can buy this now and it will give me joy or pleasure or whatever the deal is now, or I can not and have something much later in life that will give me lots of pleasure over many, you know, many years that's not really good for us as human beings. We don't, as a rule, we don't like to to, to kind of delay our gratification. You know, we we want we want instant gratification. We want the the car, the house, the cappuccino, the holiday, whatever it is. We want it all now. Uh, and and so, when you're sitting in a position where you have to make a trade off, and it can be a very small trade off. I'm not going to buy the extra you know cappuccino now. I'm going to I'm going to make it at home. Or you know I'm not going to buy the car because it's a huge waste of money. You know, and and I'm gonna I'm I'm going to you know, kind of keep driving my car until it falls apart so that I can reach financial independence. Those are long-term goals. And it's very hard for us to think about ourselves in the future. So, so the, the only way I can do it um, and I can think of is you've got to have something that really motivates you, really excites you uh, whenever you think about it. So that when you, when you say, okay, I need to make a trade-off now, the, the vision I have for myself is I want to be somewhere. I want to go on holiday. I want to sit in, you know, uh, you know, on the coast looking at the sea or whatever the deal is. And that thing, that goal, that vision motivates me so much that actually sacrificing the cappuccino now is just not an issue for me. It's not a sacrifice. It's, it's saying uh, I'm, I'm taking another little step towards my goal rather than saying to people, look, you know, just save for retirement. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's not real for us. And I, and I think we see it, you know, for example, the big medical aids and, you know, a, a lot of the tech companies, they, they kind of gamify our behavior. They give us lots of little goals all the time 
to, to make us work to these things. And, and I would say use, you know, their rather cynical behavior and, and, and just steal the good idea, which is gamify yourself, you know, set, set goals that are, you know, one month, one year, uh, you know, 10 years and 20 years away. And then say, say, okay, great. If I reach my one year goal, I can do whatever it is that, you know, the, the wasteful thing. So, mm-hmm. so it's great. You, I mean, you, I'm not saying we need to live like, you know, hermits on a hill and never spend money uh, and, and have no life, but give yourself a vision that really motivates you so that you work towards that and then, uh, and then have life during that. You know, I, I think the mistake also would be to say that you can't have any fun and you can't do anything until you reach 65. And, you know, and, and then, you know, sadly you die of a heart attack at 66. I mean, that's, that's no way to live. So, so I think it's about just getting that balance and the vision is the balance. You know, um, you're talking about having fun whilst you're still earning and, and, and living. Um, a, a, a family friend of mine told me, she's 70 now, but she told me that for her 50th birthday, she, start, she started investing. She, she took out a policy, you know, five-year endowment or whatever it was in those days, um, specifically for her 50th birthday. And when the time came, so she, it was a five-year investment. The time came, she had this lump sum. And her and she called it my fiftieth birthday, and she took her whole family overseas for a big celebration and, and a big holiday. And her advisor said, "You are you doing the right thing? You know, this is a lot of money." And she said, "This is what the money was for. That's why I put it there." So I think we also need to do those things. You know, we need to have all these multiple goals. We need to have the shorter term goals where we actually get to enjoy our life. Um, so I think, yeah, very very important. And I, I listened to that and I thought, hmm. I like that. Um, I think I'm going to start having my <laughs> my little investments uh, for every like every ten years. I want to do something like really amazing. Um, I just thought that was really really clever. Now, in the book, Warren, you talk about your dreams, and you say they don't have to be grand dreams; they can be quite modest. And you said your yours are modest. Your vision is modest. So, what is your vision for your life? It's like a confession time. Uh, <laughs> so. So for, for me, uh, I mean, a few things. One, uh, I mean, uh, my wife and I don't have kids, but, but we, we have a charity. Uh, and it's kind of an important thing for us. You know, so the, the, the books that I write, I don't, uh, I don't pocket the money. You know, the money goes to, to that, uh, that charity. And it's, we put kids through school and university. Uh, and, and for me, that's very motivating. So, so to, to, to continue that is important for me. I think there'll, there'll come a time where, um, I mean, I, I can't put a date on it because it'll upset my staff, but there'll come a time where I'll stop working, you know, day to day and and focus on on building out that, that that charity. And that's something that I'd like to do. It gives me purpose. Um, and I think that's important. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to have a second career, which is, you know, which is in that, in that field. And, and, and it, it drives me a lot. And then, uh, I um, I like being in space. I like being in open places with uh, a small community. So, I mean, as as we were chatting about off air, I'm sitting in the in the middle of the career at the moment in a beautiful little town, uh, and and I love the sense of community that you get from a small town, um, and and kind of you know having deeper connections with people, and and that will be that will be something I want to do. Um, and then I'd like to be in a place with lots of sunshine, and I'm looking out the window now, and, and uh, you know, and and lots of uh, clear and clean air. Uh, and the, and then uh, you know my my big financial weakness in life is I absolutely love to travel, so I mean we we you know that that's a core in our in our financial planning is almost you know it, it doesn't quite take priority over medical aid that would be wrong but, uh, but but travel is right up at the top of our of our goals mine and my wife so so we spend a, a lot of our time planning holidays uh, whether whether it's in the bush in South Africa or uh, you know on on the beach. 
in, in, in as many islands as we can. So I've, I've got a book called 501 Islands to See Before You Die. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to give it my best go to see how many of them I can, I can get through. Yeah, working your way through the book. That's a brilliant idea. Um, and well, you said me the Karoo would meet, meets many of those, uh, those ticks many of those boxes. And I, and I think, Warren, you know, travel is important. I think it's one of the ones that's important for a lot of people, certainly for me as well. Um, in fact, in um, on the 26th of March 2020, I was supposed to be celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary in Japan. Uh, with the cherry blossoms. So I haven't got there yet. <laughs> and I'm still sitting here and it's very frustrating. But the, I suppose the one upside of, of not being able to travel is that we've been able to save more money towards more travel one day in the future. So, um, so that is, you know, that, I think that's important. And also one of the things with travel is that you also want to travel when you still have your health and your youth. You know, again, you know, postponing it and saying, well, I'm going to wait until I'm much older. And actually, a very wise woman said to me, she said, Maya, do it whilst you still want to do it. So she's in, I think she's nearly, she's in her early, late 60s, early 70s. And she said, I've got the money now. She sold her business. She, she, she made a lot of money in her lifetime. And she said, but I just don't actually feel like it anymore. She's got her health. It's not that, but she, I just don't feel like traveling um, as much. And I regret that I didn't do more of it when I still had the energy and desire to do so. So I think it is, life is about finding those, those balances. But um, getting back now to the offshore uh, the investment part, um, what I really liked in your book was how you, uh, you positioned the offshore argument, not about politics, not about the RAND, not about, you know, it becomes a, you know, a, a, either it's anti-South Africa or patriotic argument. It's not. And I'm going to quote two, two lines from the book. Um, you write, investing our money in many different countries and industries means we can benefit from unexpected growth and reduce the impact of unexpected losses on our investment. So it's about diversification. And it's about um, opportunities. You also write investing far from home to ensure we take advantage of opportunities not available to us in our home country. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is it. I mean, what is your philosophy about making that decision to, to invest offshore? So um, I think you, you were attached to some of the Twitter storm that followed uh, your your photo that you sent of my book where I got abuse uh, because I'm you know I'm one of the people that's been saying for a long time that you know there are some talking heads out there that have a huge agenda which, which is to drive a, you know drive their product drive their their business their view um, and so they they sell overseas investments as an anti in other words it's an anti south africa it's a getaway no from names it's a mentioned warren are we going to yeah. i've also had uh, i've had blow ups with certain individuals like big blow ups as well so yeah <laughs> so so for me, uh, the, 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 the question comes, as you say, I mean, you're getting that. I, I get it all the time, which is people saying, you know, we, we want to look at this global investing um, more seriously, but, but what is the right way to do it and when should we be doing it, et cetera. And, and so for me, you know, the, the critical thing here is to say that there needs to be a structure to how you invest um, and whether it's in South Africa or overseas or anywhere in the world, it's, it's starting with first principles. What are the things that are re relevant to you? And and then uh, how do you go? And so oh, hitting the microphone. And, and so uh, if if we talk about global investing, th th that's a starting point. Just to say, it's not about running away from your home country or running away from South Africa or running away from a political situation. It's about saying it doesn't make sense if you were if you were sitting, uh, you know, if there was really a man on the moon and he was looking at the world, he wouldn't say, okay, I'm going to allocate all of the capital that I built up on the moon to South Africa, and I'm going to put it all there. It, it just doesn't make sense. Similarly, 
if he, you know, if he decided to put uh, to put money in America, and you know, be, because that's where he wanted to settle, he wouldn't put all his money in America. It makes sense that you've got to have those, those exposures to uh, geographies that that you don't have. You know, and that that's sometimes as basic as climate. You know, the, the climate is a huge issue in terms of of agriculture and and those kinds of things. Then you look at education. You know, we we don't have. The, you know the universities that promote science and technology the, the way that other countries do and, and you keep going on, on this kind of chain of, of of excellence in in certain areas that aren't available in others and and so to me it's about saying okay I do want to uh, take advantage of opportunities in other countries and and that gives me the unexpected growth when for example you know if, if we go back to South Korea you know it goes from being an economic backwater to suddenly an Asian miracle you know the one of the Asian tigers. Uh, and and so you know to participate in that with with their hugely productive population that you know very focused on technology and and and, and the like is it's an attractive place to be and I don't need to get on a plane and relocate myself to go and take advantage of it I can simply invest in their market the, the same with America uh, I, I mean we just don't know for example what the next big you know um, emerging countries will be necessarily so so I think it's about taking advantage of opportunities and then at the same time looking at your home country and saying, well, okay, in South Africa, we've got tourism, we've got some agriculture, we've got mining. R really, that's what we've got. Mm -hmm. so, so we don't really have big pharmaceutical businesses. We don't really have, uh, you know, big tech businesses, et cetera. So yes, I, I want to invest in the things that are, that are specific and unique to, to my home country, but I really want to have things that are totally unrelated to mining, for example, you know, that will benefit when mining is going down. So, so it is really about proper diversification to reduce risk in bad times, wherever that may be, and then taking advantage of good opportunities in the good times as well. And then globally, what will happen is some of your money will be doing well, some of the time, other parts of your money won't be doing well. And, and that's the very point of diversification. Not everything goes up all the time. And, you know, I, I've got my little uh, spreadsheet of all my investments. I'm, I'm diversified, well diversified across both because my retirement funds, of course, are quite locked in here in South Africa, both my husband and mine. So we have our, most of our discretionary funds offshore. And it, I tell you, the, the years where my offshore adds value and the years my, my you know, that that it's unbelievable how often counter-cyclical it can be um, and how one gets a boost from one more than the other. Um, and you just realize it makes this, the ride a little smoother. At least every year there's usually something giving me a little bit of a little bit of a boost there. Um, and I suppose, well, that's diversification, isn't it? Um, but now what I also want to talk about for a lot of people, so yes, they, we all get the, 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 the argument you should have offshore in your portfolio for all the right reasons, not because you're a naysayer, but what products are out there? Um, and, and this is the, the question I get the most, you know, like, how do I actually do it? And, and, you know, Warren, you and I are talking about when, when we, when I, you know, joining BJM, there was very little options, you know, um, now you can, you can have local offshore um, and you can have proper foreign investments offshore. So maybe just unpack that for our listeners. So, so I always think it, it relates a little bit about, uh, to the amount that you want to invest. So, so if you're someone that's saying, I've got a few thousand rand a month or a few hundred rand a month, doesn't, doesn't really matter, but, but a few thousand rand a month to, to invest on a debit order, um, and I'd like to start building up my, my global uh, exposure, that, that's great. I think then, you know, the, 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 unfortunately, the product providers have these terrible names. So, so looking at something called a feeder fund, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense. And, and just, you know, just briefly, that means 
although it's a rand denominated investment, when you put your money in there, that, that rand denominated investment then sends all of the money overseas and goes and buys a pure global investment. So mm-hmm. it will benefit from that market rising or falling in, let's just say, dollars as an example, um, plus the exchange rate of whatever the rand is doing against the dollar. So when you get your money back one day, yes, it will come back to you in rands, but but all the exposure that you've had has been to, to global markets. So I think for, for debit order money, the, uh, to me, a feeder fund makes a lot of sense, simply because you're not paying the banks to convert your rands into dollars and, and paying the huge you know, commissions that they're charging you. And then the delays on transactions of actually getting the money overseas and, and, and getting going. So, so to me, you know, I think when your amounts are, are below, let's say around 500,000 rand uh, and, and, you, and you're looking to do debit orders or small lump sums, th- th- then feeder funds make a lot of sense. And, and just on that, you know, I always think, don't try and predict what the what markets are going to are, are going to be the best and you know globally. So don't go and say, well, I'm going to put all my money in China or all my money in Japan or all my money in America. I would just have a, a really solid global diversified you know investment you know that invests in all the markets all the time. And you know it could be as simple as a world index. You know you, you don't need yeah. to be a, a, a market expert to do that. Well, I mean, I was going to say, Warren, there's also, I mean, you can do your, your ETFs. We'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe. You can do your ETFs, unit trusts, because people always say, oh, where do I find these feeder funds? But, you know, all unit trust companies have one. Uh, exchange-traded funds, there's, there's feeder comp- ones. But I think I agree with you, just having a well-diversified one. And I must say, just looking at the Chinese market in the last few weeks, <laughs> keep diversified. <laughs> We're really diversified. Yeah, don't- <laughs> Uh, and, and diversification is going to help you so many times that, and, you know, that, that you just wouldn't predict. Yes. Um, and, and then I think we, when you're investing larger amounts, so, so now we're over the 500,000 rand and more, th- then I think it makes sense to actually convert your rands into a global currency, send the money out, and then invest in a properly global, uh, globally diversified investment. And, and so you know, to your point, what should that be? It can be really simple. For example, you can go and buy... Uh, a global um, equity unit trust. So in other words, a unit trust that invests in all the stock markets in the world. And as we just mentioned, that could be something that where you're paying a fund manager to, to choose the individual shares across the world, or you could buy an index tracking uh, uh, unit trust. And, and you could really do it as simply as that. The other alternative is open a stockbroking account uh, you know, overseas and, and then buy the exchange traded fund that you mentioned. You, know, you can buy one and, you know, in, I mean, the, the, the name of those is usually the MSCI World Index, if you want to know, uh, and, and you just buy that and, you, and you've got exposure to the world's biggest markets in one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The only caution I would say with, with investing globally is just make sure that the home of the money is, is in the right place. In other words, uh, the, you know, they talk about the domicile or the jurisdiction, which is just the, the, the home of the money. Um, and a lot of the time, we get so much news from America that we just we fixate on America as, as South Africans as a, as a home for our money. And the problem there is just that, you know, the Americans, um, they, they love to tax. And, and one of the things they really do is they like to tax foreigners who invest in America. So if you've got more than $60,000 invested in America and you pass away, uh, the American government's going to take 40% of that, that money uh, for, for the pleasure of you leaving your money there. So, so you have to choose a jurisdiction that doesn't tax you twice. In other words, you know, look at places like Ireland, the country Ireland, um, you know, the Channel Islands, Luxembourg, Switzerland. Those are all great jurisdictions because they're highly regulated, lots of fraud protection, all of those things. But they also don't tax the, uh, you know, non-residents. And I think that the home of your money is almost as important as everything else that you do. 
But I also find, you know, it, it, there's so many South African uh, providers who, who do who do offshore, prop offshore. So, and, and which I think is often easier because you don't you, you don't have to you know your client, you know the 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 sort of FICA rules, um, you know the, the anti money laundering rules. They kind of can comply with all of them. You pick up the phone to somebody in London and you say, "Hi, I'm from South Africa." They say, "Sorry, we're not interested because we don't know who you are." So I find generally, you, you know, all the big fund managers here have. Um, and they domicile generally Guernsey, Jersey, you know, the, the, the right uh, sort of um, countries in terms of tax. And then, of course, you've got um, many platforms. Many of the stockbrokers in South Africa offer proper offshore portfolios. You can actually, you know, open open offshore accounts with them. So, I mean, uh, your view on that, I just think it keeps life simpler also from a tax perspective because they report, um, it, it, you know, based on our tax um, requirements. Yeah, you're right. So, so that's the one big thing is, you know, these global platforms, I mean, they wouldn't know the South African financial year, you know, at, at all, and they just don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so tax reporting and, 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 and FICA and FaZe and all of those things, you know, a lot of that's taken care of by the, the South African product providers, which is great. I have no, no, uh, no doubt and no concern in my mind. Uh, a lot of the time, people are quite concerned about, you know, the, the prospect of a of a change in government, and then all of a sudden, there's this whole pressure on the South African institutions uh, who have foreign funds to bring money back. It's it, not a big issue for me. Uh, I, I think it's you know, um, but I guess that would be the only real concern for someone saying I, I don't want to attach to a South African institution. But beyond that, uh, as you say, I mean, the convenience and the tax reporting makes life so much better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And just whilst we're on that topic, um, you know, if you have offshore investments, should you have a separate offshore will? Should it be included in it? Or should you use something like a life wrapper, which which kind of, you know, um, protects the assets, um, you know, as an endowment? I mean, what is your kind of advice that you give to clients? Um, so, so let's hit the will first. I think if you're in the right jurisdiction, so, so back to those Channel Islands or Ireland or Luxembourg or mm-hmm. Switzerland, they will recognize the South African will and they will recognize the South African letters of executorship. In which case, all you need to do is make sure that your South African world is very clear about what you want to do with your money, and and you know as long as there are enough uh, there's enough money in South Africa to pay the the taxes and the and the fees of winding up your estate, then there is no need to bring the money back. But you have to just be clear that your will covers those things co- correctly. Uh, so so you know if you're in a place like you know like mainland UK, so you know the city of London or in in America or you know, Germany or something like that. I, I think it makes sense to to then get a will in those in in those jurisdictions. Make sure that they're covered, um, and then especially in countries where you've got Sharia law. You know, so for example, you know, in in Dubai or, or um, you know Malaysia or Indonesia, or one of those where, where just the laws are, are quite different. Um, I, I think it's critical that you that, that you make sure that you've got a will that's a, you know that, that sets out exactly what you want to happen with the money. Because if you if you not uh, if you don't do that, you you, you could be uh, kind of subject to some pretty bad adverse consequences for your family. Mm. Um, so, so life wrappers and and the like. I'm I'm pretty stingy with paying fees to product providers, Maya. So so I, it always starts for me on, you know, what are they going to charge? Uh, what are they going to charge me for me to invest my money there, and what benefits are they going to give me? So. I think, uh, you know, life wrappers uh, and just simply, you know, a life wrapper for, for people who don't know, it's an in, kind of an endowment really that, uh, you know, in, in South African law packages all your investments inside and 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 then, uh, you know, you don't really pay too much tax while you're alive, while the investment's going, but you do pay tax, uh, you know, w- w- when you take it out again. But but for me, 
Um, often they're missold because uh, they, they are expensive. They can be expensive. I shouldn't say they all are, but, but they can be expensive. And then the benefits aren't as, as good as one, one thinks. So, so if you ask me, I tend to, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a simple guy and I like simple things. So, so I tend to try and keep things very simple, very clear, very transparent. So I prefer exchange traded funds, shares, you know, mutual funds. But for large amounts of money, uh, you, you know, definitely, um, you know, I think structures make some sense. And structures, for example, could be, uh, you know, something like a, a eventually a family trust overseas. But but you're talking about very large amounts of money where the costs of running the trust become uh, much more tolerable. But there's a huge amount of tax planning that has to go into that. And and uh, uh, on the other side, making sure that you choose the right company, et cetera. So I would say get a lot of advice. Um, on the on the life plans, I haven't done a lot of them. I, I, I always feel uncomfortable with the costs. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that the benefits are there. Um, I, I know the product providers will be very upset with me, and they'll be writing you lots of long emails after this. My, I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. I think uh, they might have a, a role to play, but not as often as everyone thinks. Well, I, I, that way they've really written lots of letters to me because I did the maths um, and I worked out that, you know, even if you are, are a 45% taxpayer on 45% tax rate, uh, remember an endowment is already taxed at 28% at, at the company tax rate. So for you to, that tax benefit to you, if you're paying more than 0.25% a year for the structure, you're better off paying the tax. So they have to come in at a really low cost. Um, and then obviously there is a the thing that it ring fences it from executive fees uh, because it, it goes to your beneficiaries, stays out of your estate. So there's a little bit of estate planning stuff there. But I think, you know, we, we as South Africans are so desperate not to pay tax that we often overpay on fees to avoid paying tax. And we're actually probably better off, in all fairness, paying the tax. At least it's possibly doing some good for the country as opposed to just boosting the pockets of our financial institutions. So that would be my... Uh, so there we go, Warren. We're going to make sure we're getting lots of calls now from the product providers. <laughs> um, and I thought just to to, to end off, um, you know, you, you, you said you're a simple man. You like simple things. Um, and in your book, you do talk. Uh, you do talk about your own uh, portfolio. So maybe just give everybody an idea of, of how you do it in terms of what you use, uh, passive, active, index trackers. Yeah, so so I must say I'm I am I am a believer in, in index tracking investments. So you know in, in the South African context, you know just tracking the the, the top forty or top fifty uh, you know shares in South Africa or in the world, you know the, the the that world index that I've mentioned already. I think um, the low cost of index tracking investments is so compelling. That argument is so compelling now that uh, that it's very hard to to just ignore it. You know on on principle. Having said that, uh, I do think that um, the world is changing quite a lot around stock market. Well, the stock market world is changing quite a lot. In other words, we, we're seeing less and less companies being listed on stock exchanges. There are more and more companies that are just finding it far too expensive, far too cumbersome to be a listed company. And, and so you're finding some brilliant, high quality, you know, really good businesses that are just staying private for, for you know, almost their entire lives. Uh, and so to me, I think the combination of choosing, uh, you know, a good global index for, for half of, of my money makes all, all the sense on the basis that I don't know which country is going to be better, whether it's America or, you know, any, anywhere else. I, I'm just going to be in the index and, and, and enjoy, uh, hopefully enjoy the, 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 the value of markets over time. I nearly said the ride, but it's not a game. It's, 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 it's more important than that. But, but, but then the other half of the money, I do choose investment companies and, and those are, they're not. We're not familiar with them in South Africa, but just in general, companies that are listed on a stock exchange, um, and their sole purpose is to buy um, buy investments in businesses. Uh, 
and the advantage of those is that a lot of them are buying companies that are just not uh, not listed. So a lot of the earliest investors, you know, 10, 10 years ago, for example, you know, in in Tesla were were, were investment companies because they they could take money, allocate significant pools of money to you know to an unlisted business run run by you know potentially a madman who was going to change the way that we drive cars and 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 store our energy etc and and they could do it in that space so so I like investment companies for half of my money um, and it's not about pure growth there I, I think it's about saying that I think if you choose good and uh, good people who pick shares or or pick uh, companies they can often manage the risk of of the index you know it, it's inherent in stock markets that you know the, the biggest companies might also be the most expensive it just happens like that you know we i think you you mentioned off you know in south africa you've got that you know between nasfas and process i mean just a huge business that represents a massive part of our market but but the point is if it's only half of your of your money in in an index and the other half is you know paying fund managers to do something very different then you you're getting a benefit there but but that's my last comment on that is don't don't choose um you know fund managers or investment companies that are just tracking the index with slight tweaks because you're just overpaying them. You, you have to pay them to be fundamentally different to the index. And, and then you're getting diversification. If that feels too complicated and too messy, just buy the index and know you're going to be right you know, 80% of the time. Absolutely. Now, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you just it depends on how much you know PT you want to put into it. But I think just a well-diversified... I mean, I have my kids' uh, tax-free savings accounts. They're just 50% here, 50% overseas, you know, Simple, but not. I, I just use the feeder funds, obviously the the, the index funds. Um, and you know, I just I'm like you, uh, Warren. I just thought the less the better. But just as a matter of interest, Berkshire Hathaway would be an example, of course, of, an, of one of the investment funds um, that can invest. They're probably the most one that most people are most fam- familiar with. I was trying to rack my brain thinking of an example of one, and then of course Warren Buffett uh, came up. <laughs> but uh, Warren, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, it was really great and insightful. I'm sure many of, our, of the listeners have found that very useful. But um, it, maybe we can just tell everyone where they can get the book. There are global investing made easy. Where can they get it? I was imagining every bookstore. Yeah, thanks, Maya, and, th- and thanks for having me in the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you're, you're right. So, so, so definitely, um, you know, online, you know, the, the big online retailers already have it. Uh, surprisingly, they were not surprisingly, I should say, they were quick off the mark. So, so pretty much every bookstore, um, it, it should be there um, by now already. And and then online, uh, you know, the Amazons and the Take Lots already have it. I know it's. Um, already on kindle so so i think people should be able to find it uh, you know if they if they if they're just looking online or at their local uh, retailer excellent so if you're wanting to invest offshore you want to do a little bit more uh look you know just get, understand it a little bit better you can you can pick up warren's uh, latest book and uh and best of luck and thanks warren for for sharing your um expertise and insights with us today thanks Maya.